0: Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're really pleased you've been able to join us for tonight's program.
1: I don't want us to be an inch deep as a church. I want us to be deep, deep. And deep, deep means that our faith in God is not subject to God being like the genie in the bottle rub the bottle and he'll give you what you want. Isn't God good? Isn't Christianity wonderful?
0: A young teen raised by his mother and grandmother, where is he going in life? In the New Testament, we meet just one such bloke and his name is Timothy. He responded to the gospel during one of the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys, and what we discover is that they form quite an important bond. Tonight, Dr. Corbett begins a four-part series on the life of young Timothy. His first discussion starts in Acts chapter 14. So let's join Dr. Corbett now as we're introduced to a sonless father who finds a fatherless son.
1: As we read about Paul, we saw that God took this man who was an opponent of Christianity, someone who was on his way to do his worst, take out more Christians. He had already killed, been responsible for the killing of Stephen and he was now uh, enthused to continue his rampage and he was... Uh, on his way to Damascus to find more Christians and scripture says drag them out of their homes and have them executed for being nothing other than a Christian and God got a hold of this man God completely transformed this man and so I actually take great comfort great consolation from the idea that whenever someone fights against God there's always an inevitable winner (laughs) So if you know someone who's really antagonistic, really opposed to God and very much against Christians, don't be too quick to assume the worst because what might be going on underneath (laughs) is that they could be having this struggle as we read about Paul who when he was on the road to Damascus and God knocked him off his horse, we hear Christ say to him it's hard for you to keep fighting against me he used the expression it's hard to kick against the goads and so we don't always know what's going on in someone's life we can think they're so hard and they're so distant when in fact sometimes in their quiet moments alone they are having quite a battle and quite a quite an exchange with the god that they deny on seeing Paul converted we should take great comfort that and great hope that the, the worst opponents of Christianity in history have often been converted to Christianity Paul's one of them he was well he was the, the first serious opponent of Christianity who was converted to Christianity not all people come from a, a position of being opposed to religion God Christianity not all people are in that boat Some people are raised in a religious home and yet they're indifferent to religion. Some people are raised by godly parents or godly mother or godly grandmother and yet they spend their life indifferent and not really having much regard for God or the Bible or anything like that at all. And that's an example of the, the kind of conversion we're going to see in a moment. We're going to look at the life of Timothy and Timothy if we had the time and if I was in a home group I'd probably ask you tell me two things you know about Timothy and you might say well didn't he hang out with Paul and yeah he he did You, you might you might also know that he was the name of his mother and maybe even the name of his grandmother if you know your Bible trivia really well but beyond that we may not know too much and I want to point out some of the little gems in scripture that tell us who Timothy was, what he was like and why I think it's important to have a look at his life because just as I've mentioned the Apostle Paul came from a radically opposed position to become a Christian and we could think they're the best kind of testimonies You know oftentimes us preachers when we want to get a dramatic testimony and we look for those, we look for the people who were you know severe drug addicts and maybe murderers and you know the ones that are really cool you know like uh, last week I was a murderer I killed six people but in the middle of the week I gave my life to Christ so you should too otherwise I might backslide. You know those those kind of testimonies can attract a crowd. I'm not so sure they're the best testimonies. You know, the best I, I tell you right now, the best kind of testimony I've ever heard is this. I was born to Christian parents. They love Jesus. I grew up loving Jesus. I just found it the most natural thing to surrender my life and love Jesus too. And I'm still loving Jesus. I just think, oh man, that's awesome testimony. And that wasn't Timothy's testimony. Timothy was someone who I think had some similar traits to the Apostle Paul. We've seen the Apostle Paul has, in all his writings, he makes no reference to his father at all. just doesn't reference him. And he has the traits of uh, someone who, who was disconnected from his father. And I've often found men over the years who are very disconnected from their dads, end up becoming very angry... In fact, an, an interesting insight, I don't normally make generalisations but this one is actually true. Of all the most aggressive atheists that have ever existed, they've all had a disconnect, a dysfunctional relationship or an absent relationship with their father, without exception. And you could think, oh no, uh, Richard Dawkins, there you go, well, Richard Dawkins, uh, boy, there's a story and it's a story where clearly he had a disconnect with his dad, clearly and you go well what about Karl Marx? Karl Marx man oh man and you go through all these people throughout history and they all had a dysfunctional relationship with their dad and Timothy was someone who had a disconnect with his dad just as Paul did and I'm wondering if that's what connected them both and so this, I'm calling this a sonless father (coughs) finds a fatherless son and I'm mindful of the German saying which says it's easy to become a father it's much harder to be one and as we look at this relationship that blossoms between these these people I want to take you now in this time machine come with me now back to the year AD 45 if Paul had become a Christian around about AD 35 or so 33 35 he's been a Christian now 10 years and he's been sent out by the Antioch church with Barnabas, his colleague. And you might remember that uh, Paul was a a Turkish Jew. He was from Turkey. And I'm going to take you now into this area of Turkey. It it used to be called Asia Minor. And we're going to a a particular place called Lystra. And if you don't know where Lystra is, hopefully you can make it out on the map. If you can't make it out on the map, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to make it just just a little bit clearer and if that doesn't help I'm going to put an arrow right there does that help? (laughs) so if you know your geography and you know kind of where Turkey is today you'll get an idea of where Lystra is and it's not too far away from where Paul himself was raised in Cilicia so if you've got your Bibles you might want to follow me because I'm going to leave verses out from this reading but you'll, you'll be able to follow along we're in Acts chapter 14 so this is the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And they, as you can see, the arrow is they headed off, they head west, which is more profound than most realise. You know, whenever God initiates a, a movement of redemption, a movement of rescuing people, the direction is always west. Always west. When Adam sinned, God sent him out of the east gate and set a cherubim there to guard it coming in east speaks of rebellion and west speaks of coming to God when God set up the tabernacle there was this fence around it then the, the tent the, the very holiest of holies was as west as you could go when we have just celebrated Christmas you remember wise men came from the east someone didn't look at their Christmas card wise men came from the east which meant they headed what well, thank you they headed west So west is the direction of coming to God, approaching God... that first missionary journey set off west, very interesting. We're we're picking it up in Acts chapter 14 and verse 6 having seen that Paul was not too far, Paul and Barnabas were not too far away from there, they preached in a place called Iconium and the people there were very responsive but there was Jewish leaders there who were very very upset because you know now their power base is being eroded and so they drove Paul and Barnabas out of the town really really angry with them for what they'd done and so they actually wanted to kill Paul and so we pick it up 45. this verse starts off this way they learned of it that's what they learned of the plot to kill them and they fled to Lystra and Derbe cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country and they continued to preach the gospel now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet he was crippled from birth and had never walked interesting Luke is writing this he's a doctor he's a physician and he's a very spiritual man but he's also a physician And he's telling us something about this miracle that's about to happen. It wasn't that this man had a sprained ankle. It wasn't that this man tripped over and grazed his knee and he was sitting there going, uh, hurty knee, hurty knee. This man had never walked. He had what's called a congenital disorder. He was like this from birth. He'd never walked. So you can understand a doctor being absolutely fascinated by what's about to happen as Luke narrates this he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice stand upright on your feet and he sprang up and began walking that's a miracle right that's not like you know I had a headache and now it's gone not that I'm against headaches going but this is an outstanding miracle this is what we read in the book of Acts that when the gospel was being foundationally preached God confirmed the preaching of his word with these dramatic miracles And when the crowd saw what Paul had done they lifted up their voices saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men and depending on your translation It will depend on how it translates these Greek terms. Barnabas they called Zeus or depending on translation Jupiter. And Paul Hermes or Mercury because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance of the city brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out. And I'm leaving out that section just because you can read it later. Let's go down to end of verse 19. And Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Remember those guys? The ones who just tried to kill Paul? <laughs> He's gone to the next town. That town's come to Christ. Things are happening. And having persuaded the crowds, this is the fickleness of a crowd. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. Never be subject to the whims of the crowd, right? Supposing that he was dead. Again, this is a doctor writing this, Dr. Luke. So they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. And they would probably have a good understanding of what dead looked like. And when the disciples gathered about him, these are the, which disciples are these? These are the brand new Christians. They've been believers in Christ for days now. Paul come in, preached, they gave their life to Christ. He's somehow in what he's taught them is he's taught them that they can pray. They can ask God. They've seen a man lame from birth, healed, springing up and walking. They know the power that's in the name of Jesus. And so what do they do? It says, "And when the disciples gathered about him, and presumably they gathered about him and prayed, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day went on with Barnabas to Derby. Wow. This is the foundation of the church in Lystra. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples he returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. That's guts isn't it? You're going back into the place where they just stoned you. And by the way it's not little um, pea shooters, it's not little bits of grains of rice they're throwing at him. These things like baseball size, um, dead is dead when those things dead you, they, it would hurt. And so it says they returned to Lystra, to Iconium and then back to Antioch. Antioch was Paul's home base. All of his missions trips hub through Antioch. That was his new home. And what did they do? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many... Oh we don't want that do we? you want to rub that out of your Bible? But anyway it says many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I don't want us to be an inch deep as a church... I want us to be deep, deep. And deep, deep means that our faith in God is not subject to God being like the genie in the bottle. Rub the bottle and he'll give you what you want. Isn't God good? Isn't Christianity wonderful? I want our faith in God to be deep. So that even when we don't get what we want from him and he doesn't get that we're the one who tells him what to do rather than him telling us what to do, when we appreciate that it's not us telling him what to do, that he can have his way in us, and even if he chooses that we go through adversity and difficulty, uh, tribulation, we still trust him. We still have faith in him. That's deep faith. And that's what I hope happens here. Paul later reminds Timothy, because in all of this, this episode, there was a young boy, as we'll see in a moment, who was raised by a single mother. And at this point this young boy formerly completely disinterested in things of God saw this and thought that's not the religion of my grandmother there's something about this and there's something about this man that's genuine and authentic and he would have been very very young later on some nearly 20 years later nearly 20 years later we see Paul writing to Timothy reminding him of these events that we've just read about you however followed my teaching my conduct my aim in life what well, not Paul's aim in life was it looks pretty clear to me to honor Christ to live for Christ to serve Christ no matter what happens to me by people who don't agree that's his aim that's my aim too I hope that becomes your aim too and he, he says my faith my patience my anyone struggle with patience is there anyone who would like patience and you'd like it right now that was a joke my love my steadfastness uh, maybe we should skip over this next verse or maybe maybe we shouldn't and I'm not trying to be the doom and gloom guy I'm actually trying to be the let's have some authentic faith guy because it says my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So this is what he reminds Timothy. He reminds Timothy of these things. I say about 20 years later, about 20 years later. Because exactly 20 years later from that first missionary venture, Paul was taken in Rome and was beheaded because he was a Christian now Timothy almost certainly if not at least probably responded to Paul's preaching when Paul preached in Lystra and we know Timothy was from Lystra we'll see this in a moment and as I've mentioned Timothy would have been a very young teenager when he became and here's this beautiful word disciple one who lives with discipline So a disciple in the the biblical sense means one who follows a teacher, one who follows a master, one who follows someone and they're following and they're copying and if they step out of line they're corrected. That's the discipline part of it, that's the word disciple and I'll tell you now where I'm going to end up with this is I'm going to challenge each of us to consider are we an active disciple? are we that's i 've told you my conclusion where we 're going to end up, but in the meantime, come back with me now we 're going five years down our in our time machine from forty five a d now we 're going to around about fifty a d and I want to show you so this is five years later this is paul 's second missionary venture so five years later, Paul <coughs> says to Barnabas, "I really think we should go and strengthen those churches, those disciples that we We planted in these places this is what we should do and Barnabas says great I'll go and grab John Mark (laughs) and Paul says "Uh, no (laughs) and they have this Barney and it's not pretty but in the meantime what's happened in that five-year gap something significant has happened and the significance is that when Paul comes back why there's a five-year gap is because what Paul achieved in these Gentile towns absolutely rocked the minds and rocked the world of the Jewish Christian leaders in Jerusalem and they said hang on a minute Paul you're saying you preached to Gentiles and you just baptized them and then prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit and they received the Holy Spirit spoke in tongues and prophesied and began you know like they raised you from the dead these brand new Christians that's not bad discipleship is it and Paul hang on a minute how come you didn't Make them Jews first Paul says because they don't need to become Jews first and some of the Jewish Christians said yes they do we had to and so th- there was this huge huge debate that happened and you read about it in Acts chapter 15 it's called the Council of Jerusalem where they all met and interestingly the one who chaired that council was not the first Pope sorry Catholics there was no such thing as the first Pope as by the way it was the half-brother of Christ his name was James and so Paul comes from that council where the council concludes in the brother of Christ James his younger brother biological son of Mary who no longer can really be called the Virgin Mary because after Jesus she had at least another six children that kind of negates that term virgin and he James this guy he says hang on a minute it just seems that what God is doing here is saying no one has to become a Jew first people can simply put their faith in Christ and God accepts them then some of the people said but what if what if they don't live like people who know God well says James we'll tell them that they have to abstain from sexual immorality they have to abstain from idolatry and that's it That's it, that's the two requirements. And so they sent messengers to all these churches that Paul had preached in, sent them with Paul and said go and tell them it's okay, we accept you as brothers, we accept you as followers of Christ, equally legitimate. So Paul heads off without John Mark, he heads off with Silas and we see this second missionary journey and look where he's kind of making a beeline straight for Lystra. So he heads up through Antioch, his home church, and heads up to where that arrow is pointing, back to Lystra. And we're going to pick up the story now in Acts chapter 16 verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there, there's that beautiful word, a rich word, It's, it's just as rich as this other beautiful word called a believer... And a believer doesn't mean I believe, a believer means disciple, someone who has ordered their life according to what they believe. It's a, it's a rich word, a beautiful word. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, and his father was a Greek. And this is really interesting, it's just, this is Dr. Luke, and Dr. Luke by the way is not a Jew. The one who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles was a Greek. And he's telling us this man was a Greek. He was like me, but he wasn't like me. Because Lucas spoke of as being someone who's the beloved physician. He's a good man, a really good man. But notice the adjectives given to Timothy's father? There are none. He's a Greek. That's a noun. He's not called a good man, unlike his mother. His father is just noted as a Greek and that's important information I think Luke only includes it so that we we get what happens in two verses so we read of Timothy which contrasts again this thing about Timothy's father so it says his his mother was a believer there's a compliment it says Timothy was a disciple we go into verse 2 and it says this he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium so There's only one person who's not well spoken of in those two verses and that's Timothy's father. It sounds to me like Luke's trying to tell us something. This guy was a scoundrel. And the fact that Timothy doesn't have any brothers and sisters is interesting. It means the relationship that brought about Timothy probably wasn't a long or happy one. And I think that's a reasonable deduction verse 3 Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him so there's this connection a sonless father finds a fatherless son and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew his father was a Greek now for a Jew you become a Jew your Jewish heritage is legitimate if you have a Jewish mother a Jewish mother so Timothy was, could be considered a Jew if he had followed the ways of Jews. And the fact that we know that his father was not a God-fearing man is the fact that here's Timothy probably around the age of... see if Timothy was 12 or 13 when he gave his life to Christ in 1845, here we are AD fifty, so 13, 5, 18, he's probably about 18, 18 years of age, 18, 19 years of age. So the fact that he hadn't been circumcised, the rite of passage for a Jewish boy, tells us something about his dad, that his dad wasn't that interested. But it also tells me something pretty profound about Timothy. He's an 18 year old boy subjecting himself to circumcision and doesn't that tell you something about his heart? He didn't want to be a stumbling block, he didn't want to be someone who lived in a way that said, I don't care what people think. I don't care what they think. My heart's right with God. And they can think what they want. He didn't have that attitude. He had an attitude that said, look, if me not being circumcised is going to stop Jews from accepting me as a Jew, accepting me even before I get to preach to them, then I'll just get circumcised. If that's what it takes, I'll do it. The price he would have had to pay. And it says in the next verse. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them the observance and the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So I told you about that Jerusalem council. So now Timothy, the roughly 18 year old, is accompanying Paul. Uh, This is AD 50. So we're talking about uh, Paul who would have been around about 50 years of age himself. So uh, probably an appropriate age for a father and son relationship. And it goes on and says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So Timothy would have seen Paul preach, heard Paul preach, he would have been there watching him go. And then almost certainly, Paul would have had Timothy preach as well, an 18 year old preach. So he's learning how to do this from quite a young age. And over the years, this relationship bond between Paul and Timothy grew into what Paul describes as a father-son dynamic, a father-son relationship. We read, you might, if you're taking notes, you might want to note this, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, we read Paul describing Timothy like this, "'For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, "'who is my dear and faithful son in the Lord. "'He will remind you of my ways,' as I teach them everywhere in every church. That's pretty, that's really profound. Here's Timothy bringing the epistle to the Corinthians. And Paul says, here is my faithful son in the Lord, and he is going to deliver it to you, and he's going to preach to you. He's going to share, share this with you. Here's Timothy, maybe now in his early 20s, preaching to what the largest church in, in Macedonia, Greece at that time pretty big responsibility. So what what else do we know about Timothy? I mentioned if I was to ask you before we started this what, what three things might you know about Timothy? Well you may have known as it just says we just read there he was raised by a godly mother who was a believer a really rich word and she was a Jew so we know this Timothy was raised by two women no mention of his father having any input into his life. My suspicion is that he took off pretty quick.
0: For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website findingtruthmatters.org and select Timothy Part 1 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, young Timothy, a fatherless son, was raised by his mother and grandmother but developed an important relationship with the Apostle Paul, who would mentor and disciple him as he grew in his faith. Have you ever considered, who is it that's discipling you? More from Dr. Corbett next week with Timothy, part two.